Being a grumpy fuck driving the space tour bus. It's V'ger, please. A heinous trip at warp five. My name is Joseph. And I'm a time cop. Peter. Peter, before we discuss Enterprise this week, there's something you and I got into <laughs> that uh, we need to we need to share with the, our, uh, our audience. Uh, you mean our uh, indulgence of crack cocaine? Yeah, a little bit. Um, so thanks to I'm not like a big watcher of people on Twitch anymore, just because that was something I, I did when I was working from home and it was kind of easy to have it on in the background. But now I'm back in the office. Really can't do that. But apparently a, a big game that came about last couple months was Vampire Survivors. And uh, a mutual friend of ours clued us in because it was like three bucks on Steam. I don't think I've had this much fun playing a game in quite some time. I'm ashamed of the amount of time that I've put into this in a relatively small amount of time. I stayed up till 4 a.m. last night. So when the guy came to give me an estimate on some house repairs I'm trying to do at 8 a.m., I had to greet him in my fucking pajamas because I just rolled out of bed and scrambled to the door. This thing's a problem. And I have had to. <laughs> and the problem with this game is it's so simple. It's like Super Nintendo graphics literally can run on a Pentium 4. The amount of self will that I've had to sh- willpower I've had to put into not installing it at work because that would be catastrophic. The game is apparently was something that some guy made by himself on, with eleven hundred dollars worth of assets in his spare time. I mean, it's kind of insane. And it's a endless wave survival game that is done purposefully in the mode of Castlevania and uh, complete with using some of the same graphical cues and that sort of thing and And, and items and stuff. Take Castlevania, get rid of all of the jumping. You're just walking on a field or down a hallway and there's just waves of ways of people baddies coming at you and you just whip the shit out of them. It's a game about being a badass and as many power ups, flashing lights and like serotonin inducing murders as possible. (laughs) Right. And you can play it up to about half an hour and then at half an hour, death flies in and kills you. And that's that. And you get your score screen and it is a real problem around here, man. (laughs) It's, It's it's a rare game that's just about racking up a high score. You know, like it's not it's not co-op it's not two-player you're not competing against anyone else you're just trying to find no plot you're just trying to find an innovative way to rack up the biggest body count you can before death comes in the plot focuses on finding pieces of chicken laying on the floor yeah like it's all just jokes about how stupid the tropes of castlevania are that's Um, really the plot of the game (laughs) i had been putting massive amounts of hours into ghost recon breakpoint which is fucking phenomenal and it's a real Real AAA of AAA titles, like top shelf Ubisoft, like the buttery smooth um, movement of the Division Two, and all the cool stuff from Ghost Recon Wildlands, and just photoreal. Everything's great, and it has all come to a screeching halt because I'm playing uh, again a game that I could play on a Pentium Four laptop. Yeah, and like no it. problem, no problem whatsoever. Game so doesn't if, even scale to a full full screen. <laughs> So if you uh, hate your free time and you want to probably piss some people in your house off and maybe get yourself fired from work, I don't know. Go check that one out. Vampire Survivors on Steam. Three dollars. It's not visually impressive at all, but it doesn't need to be. It's just uh, what what are those games in Japan called that are like the weird pinball slash pachinko 
Yeah, it's 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 that right. I mean, that's the same kind of like crazy blinking bell ringing ding ding ding. It knows how to give. It's a game that knows how to give you incentives, and really, you know, you're just walking around. You don't even press buttons to attack, right? It's a driving point, simulator. Yeah, change my mind. The whole point of the game is to strategize your position along with the power-ups that you're selecting as you level up so that you can properly compete with the strength of the mobs that are coming after you and develop a synergistic build that will allow you to get to maximum time, which can get My wife's hairy. watching me <clears throat> playing. She's like, what the fuck are you doing? This is when I first played. I was like, I don't know. I don't know what to describe, <laughs> how to describe what's happening right now, but it has me with both hands. And Yeah, you have to play it to know, and fortunately, it only costs $3, which... Yeah. First taste is free. Yeah. And what's the review I saw? I liked uh, the game cost $3, but the price was my soul. <laughs> and, and speaking of things with a high price, like, yeah. the one, like the one Daniels pays. Oh, what is the name of the episode of the Enterprise we watched this week? All right, man. We're getting into season one, episode 11, Cold Front. So this is all plot that was initially hinted at during Broken Bow, this uh, temporal Cold War. And we haven't really touched that, I don't think, since that initial episode, right? Correct. It has not been mentioned since. You did not seem to have a fond memory of this when we wrapped up the last episode did that change the reason i don't have a fond memory of this is that i'm kind of cold on the (laughs) cold i'm cold on the uh, temporal cold war plot overall it just goes on too long i mean Mm. three of the four seasons of the show are about the temporal cold war ultimately and let that sink in because i don't think i could say that there was a solid three seasons worth of plot of voyager actually trying to get home (laughs) if you strung it all together all the episodes that are about them trying to get home explicitly it wouldn't have been three seasons no i I think if you actually get into the uh midas array plot arc which is what i think tied the entire return trip home Mm -hmm. that was maybe five episodes. Yeah. Maybe a half dozen total really dedicated to the actual meta plot of get Voyager back in the alpha quadrant. So that's interesting to hear you frame it in that respect. Is there any other TV show that I can think of where there is a consistent plot running multiple seasons like that? Of course, I'm going to go back to our favorite well to drink from, which is uh, Battlestar Galactica. And you could say, well, the overarching plot there is uh, humans versus Cylons for the fate of humanity. But even along that plot line, it changes so drastically, unfortunately, oftentimes for the worse, that it doesn't really feel like it's the same specific arc, I, mean, I guess. It, there, there's certainly a lots of um, ups and downs in this arc, and not every episode that is essentially about it directly references it. Like season three is definitely all about the temporal cold war, but I think like may have only been mentioned in three or four of the episodes of that season, but everything that's happening in that season is because of the cold war and it becomes more and more prominent as as time goes on. And I just feel like they stayed half pregnant with it for too long. So by the time you're in season three, you're just like a fucking enough of this already. What it, what the fuck (laughs) just get me off this train. I know how enterprise ends. I never saw enterprise before you and I are watching currently, but 
I think everybody who's a Star Trek fan knows that it's the final episode ends up in like the Enterprise's holodeck and we've got uh, Troy and Riker there. And I think that left a lot of people feeling um, pretty raw. Yeah, pretty raw. Knowing that's going to happen and then seeing how the dialogue plays out in this, you know, that there's actors from the future shaping events, toying with things that Enterprise is very important. It's under observation. I think that really uh, continue. I don't know how to frame it, but just all of these concepts. Is there a sentiment out there in Trek fandom that Enterprise was never really its own thing? Like it, it doesn't feel like we're watching a story about these people doing their thing so much as other people coming back in time to fuck with this thing. And I, I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it does, and I think that's probably the reason why the temporal Cold War plot is not well loved is because it distracted from what it felt like Enterprise's thing should be. The whole point of the show was that it was this formative period in, you know, the prehistory of of the Federation and Earth's exploration into the stars, and the first time they met people like Klingons, and that was the promise of the show. And instead of focusing on that, we got these weird detours every so often about how it was all being fucked with by super time people. Fortune's you know. fool. These characters are reacting to puppeteers instead of being proactive as pioneers yeah it there's a certain level of predestination paradox that comes into some of this that makes it like it would have been a cool episode of like that hit that allowed like at some point given the right kind of plot structure for the cr- the crew of the enterprise to understand we're really are like doing important things that we have to continue doing like to serve as motivation for the what the premise of the show should have been i'm not saying there's not some meat on the bone to do like a temporal kind of incursion type of plot but they just made this really weird decision to have this meta plot at first occasionally and then more and more frequently kind of assert itself into the narrative and then in season three they finally figured out what to do with it like, okay, we have to figure out where this is going and where the conclusion will be. And they they come up with one. And it's a whole season dedicated to it. And it's pretty good. And it makes season and it allows them to finally get rid of the plot line and then move into season four, which is excellent. But they just have this sort of background radiation of the temporal cold war just show up every now and then for the first two seasons, and it's like, what what this guy again? Like, really? <laughs> like so who is they? And this one, it's going to be written by Stephen Beck and Tim Finch, directed by our good old friend, Robert Duncan McNeil. Robbie Dunks. Uh, like his on-screen wife, Robbie's career stopped being about acting and started being about directing at the conclusion of Voyager. Like He, he still does it to his, this day with Resident Alien, right? It's great. And did an episode of Voyager, I want to say. I think mine have only been one. No, we had like three, man. Let me let me double check that. Directing credits. He had four. Sacred Ground, Unity, Someone to Watch Over Me, Body and Soul. That was a good one. Body and Soul was great. And he does four episodes of Enterprise as well. Seems real thin. I mean, for a Star Trek University directorial 
graduate. Uh, I'm actually curious now who has the most enterprise directing credits between uh, Roxanne, Robert, uh, who else was on there? Uh, LeVar Burton. And yeah. I'm sure old good old Frakes has got to be in there a fair amount as well, right? Yeah, I'll, I'll look that up, see if we can figure that out. But yeah, the, the Star Trek University director, you know, actor to director pipeline is pretty robust, has a robust history. I mean, Frakes probably took it as farther than anybody else literally did. I think did two movies, right? He did First Contact and Insurrection, if uh, memory serves. And yeah. so, you know, he was the most successful at it, but um, Roxanne Dawson also had a, a prolific directing career um, in television, still does, as does Rob, Robert Duncan McNeil. And uh, I don't know if LeVar Burton, how much work he's getting as a director anymore. Frake says, though, Frakes is still doing Star Trek, aren't it? actually yeah sure for whatever that's that's <laughs> worth to you um so so this is going to get us our our toes wet into the old time travel conundrum and i say conundrum because uh how do you do time travel well the more educated your audience gets on time travel the more aware the audience should be that time travel is stupid and riddled with paradoxes and that it's so easy to start splitting hairs and questioning things like my favorite part of this episode and real quick i like this episode i i thought this was a a good one uh but i love when to paul's like this doesn't make any sense why would this guy not just if he can time travel have shown up yesterday and done yeah, there's a there's a a point where in the plot your science officer starts pointing out the logical fallacies in time travel and the choices people engaging in time travel, you know, are making. I and maintain it was that. I appreciated that that was in there, and also that like to Paul points and and Trip point out all the ways it's stupid to assume this man's a time traveler, and that everything he is doing can easily just be explained as he's an alien with technology more advanced than we have. I will maintain that the the best well i don't know timeless is pretty fucking great but the best time travel as a whole show or show to deal with time travel uh will always be future man and if you have not watched future man you need to start watching future man and in fact maybe that should be something we look at doing a review of at some point because Ooh, that could boy, be patreon content for us i know there's a lot of future man there how many seasons did that show run i want to say three they are a little bit more than we can we can yeah, commit to those are heavy but it's great and uh for the the poop and fart gag show it is it does everything right well someone who didn't do everything right was silic when we last mm-hmm. saw him and the teaser is him getting punished by his evil overlord by having like some of his bonus parts removed. Apparently, I, it's that's where they start. And he's having you know a fucking needle next to his eyeball, which everyone always hates to see. So like, we're in the human... old temporal chamber where everybody's moving, and they've got like the Johnny Cage shadow kick effect coming off of them. <laughs> yes. God, what was that dude's name in Power Rangers? Zortan? Zordon. Zordon. (laughs) Yes. Zordon's over in the the light cone. And Suluman or whatever his name. What's his name? Silic. Silic strapped down in this chair. 
And he's like, this wasn't part of the deal. Uh, and then Zordak's like, yeah, well, listen, you know, you fucked up and uh, there's consequences. And because of that, I'm going to take your bionic eyes. The guy's like, no, no, but I, I you know, I'm going to be worse at doing my job. And then Zordak's like, well, you're not going to need him for where you're going next. This will be an easy one. And then, you know, take his eyes and the black, he comes over and puts the needle in his eye. And I'm just like, how did Silic end up in this fucking chair? Was he told like, hey, dude, sit down. We're going to give you like new bonus. I don't know, lightsaber teeth or something. We're going to give you six more inches on your dick. Sit down. You know, like awesome. Sweet. Yeah. Make sure those those straps are really tight. No, actually, I lied to you. We're going to take stuff. Oh, you trick. You got me good. You fucker. Like, (laughs) yes, please sit down in this chair. I'll tell you what. Chamber of pain. (laughs) I'm never getting back in this chair again unless I see the new upgrade part on the table fool me once shame on you fool me twice you're not you're not going to fool me again speaking in 9-11 i see that the uh in universe date on this is september 9th 2151 so ever closer <laughs> yeah so so the silic failed and he's being punched and this, this is part of like the shittiness of time travel is like why is zordak zordon Zordon, why is he forced to obey this timeline? Like, if he knows how, if he knows this, if this dude fails, again, why can't he go back the day before he fails and says, hey, by the way, zig when you're thinking you should zag or or whatever it is. Like, in my notes, like, how how can you fail when you can go back in time? That's, this is why time travel is stupid. Especially in Star Trek, right? Like, Doctor Who is not exactly science fiction it's science fantasy but they cough up narrative reasons for why you can't do the thing you're describing you know in the plot because they expect people to ask that question right like oh you know this is a fixed point in time and no one can go back into it to change that you know because of that's just the physics of time travel. I'm the master of time travel. I know all the rules. So I'm going to explain them, right? Like, and you just buy that. Sure. And that's all it takes to fix. This right. Stuff. But because Star Trek is trying to be science fiction and time travel is a, a science fantasy concept, they've never been able to come up. They didn't come up with a good explanation for it until literally discovery when they discussed why it was banned. And like all of the paradoxes and issues it created that just became unresolvable such that they were able to finally convince everyone to simply destroy time travel equipment before space time was obliterated as a consequence. Let me pose a question and maybe we put it up as a poll on the trauma support group. What is a bigger fucking mess in Star Trek? Um the rules of time travel or the exact circumstances of world war three and earth immediately after. Ooh, wow. That's tough. Uh, I think the bigger clusterfuck is. Wow. You know, so the reason why the world war three eugenics war, like timeline stuff is, is fucked is because it was stuff that was created in the sixties to reflect things that happened in the far future of the 1990s. Right. Like, and we've lived past that era and we've, you know, now we're getting in closer to when first contact would happen and all that. And you just have to, at some point accept that star Trek is not our future. It is an alternate universe in which different things I know, happened. I know. And I'm willing to accept that, but still, and 
th- this I'm pretty sure is like right in the middle of our V'ger please listener bingo card. If you take all the things that are supposed to happen after World War Three and and plot them together, it's just you've got 16 different alternate timelines there. You take what you saw in First Contact, and even hold that against the uh, the judge with the cocaine arm gun guys from encounter at far point and like none of the stuff lines up at all it's all a big fucking mess and now you put it in like the way earth looks and stuff in enterprise it's just a cockamamie timeline i think that that is less fucked though that is all solvable if they sat down and chose to solve it there's no solving the problems with time travel it's a science fantasy concept they could never construct something that would be fun to watch that explains time travel better. You know, like the best we're ever going to do is relativity. That episode with the time cops from Voyager who like start talking about things like there's rules, but they just don't have time to explain them. Right. Like that there's, there's ways this all work. And that's why they kept doing the going back to the single moment thing. And they explained why there was like limited amount of bullets in that gun. They set up the, the stakes for it and there's like other things and like multiple versions of people and there's a way to solve that. But they don't explain it because they're not supposed to be talking about this with people from the past. I think it's because you could sit down and, exp- and really hammer out Earth post World War Three. You, you could do that and they just never put the effort in to actually right. do it, codify it. And yeah, like- I don't think it's as fucked as time travel. Just It's just something they've never bothered to do. It, we start with Hoshi and Mayweather in the turbo lift. Apparently, there's 50,000 movies on Annex 01's database and he watched some fucking monster film that uh, everyone hated. <laughs> and it, they're bitching all bitching about it on the What's bridge. What's it called? Android? The attack of the Kill. Attack of the Killer Androids. I like it. I love, again, Slice of Life, little, hey, what's going on in the ship and we're not dealing with uh, major disasters. I like that there's movie night. There's like 80 people on the ship. They all get together and watch a movie. Like, I get it. They get up on the bridge. Um, That's a real Navy thing, too. Like, my grandfather, when he was in the Second World War, they had fucking movies on ships. (laughs) Yeah, so, like, they get up on the bridge. Malcolm Reed's like... Mm, that was a real stinker last night. Like, I like that kind of community. I hope movie night continues to be a thing that we hear about. Good news. It is. Unlike the Delaney sisters. Unlike the Delaney sisters, who we only got to see the one time. Mm, but it was a good one time. time. Yeah. It was, it was a good time. one time. Real good time. And speaking of a good time is being the captain of this vessel because you get a delicious breakfast brought to you each morning. Enjoying his scrambled eggs. Soft. Uh, along with you know some some breakfast meats and some lovely looking orange juice yeah. and some Chekhov's gun as uh, the bus boy or whatever has is this this isn't his first appearance is it? It is. They didn't sneak. He wasn't the guy serving dinner on the trip. Gets a wrist nipple episode. No, you you. I know what you're thinking of. Like, did I just not notice this guy? And they just like pan up and there he is. Um. He does not. He has not appeared uh, in Star Trek Enterprise until this episode. This Mark Zuckerberg looking fool, uh, which we'll find out his name is Daniels. I don't really care for him. And I also really like in this episode, the shadow of doubt that they throw on him. I think um, they could have done a little bit more. And we'll, we'll get to that. But uh, did 
I don't know if this is the first episode I've actually noticed it. When the doors open, like they got the original series, like squeaky rubber whoosh sound. And that's like front and center in the this episode. It's cool, man. I, I like that. Yeah. I mean, you know, doors, the door sound remains sev- relatively similar there for a century before they got a different kind of lubricant. <laughs> I like it. Uh, but this, this guy, Daniels, comes in. It's like, hey, I heard, did we change course? And that allows the viewer to find out they did because they're going to a stellar nursery because they found there was a ship in there and they wanted to go say hello because that's what they're out here to do. And then when they go to this stellar nursery and contact the ship, they uh, get to talk to a very upset tour bus operator. This tour bus, by the way, has like some <laughs> major Warhammer 40k vibes. Did you pick up? Yeah, on that? yeah, it kind of looks like a like a a transport if it was from you know from that universe because it had that that prow, that prominent kind of armored prow type of look to it, and it had the bridge kind of on top. No, it it, it definitely had a kind of different design aesthetic. Which like did someone fuck up in special effects and like that was supposed to be some badass, I don't know, heavy frigate attack cruiser. And instead they got swapped in to be the tour bus. And like down the road, there's going to be some bad guys attacking and they're going to be like <laughs> honk, honk, honk and a Winnebago like, <laughs> flying greyhound. Yeah, this is very much the tour bus operator with his pack of elderly people who are going to Branson, Missouri. That 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 is the vibe. If that those references make no sense to a audience outside the United States, I apologize, but it is correct. That is what this was intended to be. And if if you want to know more, you can look it up. <laughs> like he is a tour bus operator. These are the are the are the people going from Biloxi to Branson. Anybody outside the U.S. who is lost, uh, don't worry, I'm there with you. I don't, I don't know what the fuck Branson is, but we'll, we'll go with Branson, Old Missouri. People. Branson, Missouri is Las Vegas. If Ned Flanders ran it, remember it's basically you are a, alone in this thought, Joe. It's, it's a it's a OK. So Branson, Missouri is a middle south tourist destination that was specifically built to provide the sort of non all of the, the kinds of entertainment that Vegas offers, except in a family friendly format obviously with no gambling and no drinking, right? This was supposed to be basically Christian Las Vegas. So you go and there's lots of shows. There's a lot of country music shows, as you'd expect, but there's comedy, um, you know, there's magicians, there's hotels, there's resorts. Uh, I'm, I'm going to cut you off real quick for everybody's sanity. No, hold on. Hold on. I'm not <laughs> done yet. I'm not done yet explaining Branson, Missouri. And because of this orientation. Any, um, supernovas that... If you've ever watched Red Letter, Letter Media's videos and they do the one with the Soji Tabuchi show, Soji Tabuchi is a performer in Branson, Missouri. All right. That's the kind of thing that you go to watch there. Okay. And it's obviously a very popular with older demographics as a consequence of how it's oriented. And so you get a lot of retiree groups who take buses from different you know locations that I used to – my grandparents used to go and do this shit. That's how I know all this. Uh, and you get in your bus and you go from like Cincinnati to Branson and, you know, and stay in a hotel and you go a couple, see a few shows and, you know, have dinner with all of your friends. That this is what this is in space. So supernovas are. <laughs> now that no one, 
And I mean, no one is still listening to this episode. We can continue. Why, why don't you just turn that into Patreon content to punish the people giving us money? Thank you for your cash. Here is Joseph talking <laughs> about Branson, Missouri. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's I'll so get says, him. I'll get him all in. A uh, uh, Captain Dickhead who is incredibly unfriendly and not at all interested in our attempts to reach out and like, hey, buddy, the rest of the galaxy. Uh, tell the uh, pilgrims with their religious pilgrimage that if they want to come over and hang out with us, we would love to have them. And sure enough, they take them up on the offer. I love the fact that the ships dock. That there's a little like docking arm that goes out. And they, there's no use of the transporter in this episode. I like the idea that there's, um, I don't know, industrial standards for docking port configurations. <laughs> Yeah, like somehow theirs are compatible with, yeah, like. Which I think makes sense. It's like, okay, the Vulcans get around this part, that part, like best interests of interstellar commerce. Sure, man, make those uh, make those airlocks universal. Uh, So they roll over in their pilgrim robes and there's Jonathan Archer, who doesn't learn anything about his previous experiences that, you know, if you go stick in your hands and um, questionable bowls of quartz crystals, you can end up pregnant. And uh, hey, welcome on my ship. Let me force you to touch my hand and shake hands. I hope it's not against your religion or anything else. He does offer them a meal when they're apparently they're fasting, but they're like, oh, fuck it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, like, oh, these guys break tradition real fucking easy. And they there's even a f- comedy beat of tell the chef to prepare. And then he just like remembers that he doesn't know who these people are or what they eat. And just is something <laughs> just, just figure it out. I guess like tell chef. I like that. The chef doesn't have a name. It's just chef. Tell chef make a pot of his finest macaroni and cheese. We really want to send a good message. I mean, you. listen, no I more do- steaks after we, uh, locked up with the fortunate, when that dude wasted that entire fucking ribeye, I don't want him passing out any more steaks. Limit limit the buffet to cold cereals. <laughs> so the, they bring these guys they on. They come over for this big fucking diplomatic mission. It's just a continental breakfast. Some <laughs> you you might get old bagels. and It's some not oranges. even like a good continental breakfast because it's not like one where you can get like the waffle. You, know, you mm-hmm. can make your own waffle. Mm-hmm. No, it's just it's just bagels, a toaster, cold cereal, and Maybe if you're lucky, machine. some yogurt, some yogurts. Yeah, and a Keurig machine. Like mm. go go make your own cup of coffee. Like that's what you got. Maybe some little Debbie snack cakes if you're a real good boy. So the pilgrims are cool, right? They're all kind of different species, and they're they they kind of give their bit of their backstory and the whole uh, event for them that they've come to to witness is deliberately paralleled with Hinduism. I think from the jump, right? Like that's actually a conversation. Which Flox points out and Flox has a pretty juicy role. And I, I love the enthusiasm Flox has to embrace everything and do as much as possible. Like, uh, do you remember in D and D the sensates? Yeah. Like, that's the kind of vibe. vibe. Yeah, you're right. he, I mean, it's very much his character has been consistent in that, you know, he's on this ship just because he's like, this is cool. I get to meet new things. I get to observe humans doing something new. Like, he's very experiential as a person. It's why he was doing a medical exchange on Earth to begin with, right? Like, the 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 idea that Phlox is just someone that enjoys absorbing culture from other planets 
has been consistently portrayed, and he's very into this thing. Does he, he have family? Of. Yeah, he does, and we'll actually get to meet them. I wonder how cool they are with his snap decision. Like, by the way, I'm going to go out in this fucking experimental tin can and fly around the galaxy. And this uh, dumb human captain's going to stick his dick in as many bear traps as possible. <laughs> I'm going to be here to grow him a new one with my like <laughs> bat or whatever. You I know, know like I can cut in half and shove on the wound and it'll kind of take the shape. So uh, they, they bring him down to the mess hall. They're kind of getting a sense of their religion and while this is all going on, we get a beat, a comedy beat on the bridge where Reed is like, oh, Captain doesn't take him along our weapons, our terrible weapons that are bad at everything. And he finds it's like there's a sensor out of alignment. So he's got to go fix it. And he leaves Mayweather in charge. And Hoshi like talks him into taking the captain's chair. He's like, why don't you go sit in the chair? I don't need to chicken <laughs> like like calls him a basically a, calls him a bitch for not sitting in the captain's chair when he's in command and he like goes and he's like starts fucking around in it and then reed comes back and it's like your boss catching you doing goofing off when you shouldn't mm-hmm. it's nice it's a very much a slice of life scene and it's the idea that hoshi does not take any of this seriously <laughs> like whatever I, I i have no career here i'm, I'm just here because i'm down for the language yeah, which, you know, if you've got new people coming on board, maybe it would have been appropriate to have her around. I will point out that whatever mileage they were trying to get out of the Universal Translator being a piece of shit uh, expired pretty much after that first episode of Broken Bow. They really got lazy with that very quick. They decided that it wasn't worth the awkwardness of every time this ship is going to encounter a new alien race that they've got to negotiate their way through um, this. Can we talk to them problem? They definitely decided it wasn't worth the effort. To be fair, I'm not really interested in watching broken English and like fucking cash star fighter, goofy speech pattern stuff. But I think I, I would have liked it if like once an episode or every other episode they would be talking to someone and it'd be regular English. And then the person would just say the wrong thing completely. And at first it would like trip people up. And then finally they're like, that's just the translator isn't perfect. And someone's talking about like, I was walking through the park and then purple uh, and blah, blah, blah. Like what? what? No, just right. ignore it. It's, it's it, starts just, it just starts speaking in, in some sort of weird iambic pentameter, you know, like, yeah, like, there should have been a little bit more. I don't. Th- I think you're right that it would have bogged down the show too much to, you know, really make this happen all the time. But they seem to have really put it aside as an ongoing concern. To a it degree, should have been a C plot of hey, we got the new Universal Translator software, and it's really bridged a lot of gaps. Uh, you know. Vulcan's really helped us out with this. And Hoshi is constantly fiddling with it to, to like put new syntax in when they encounter someone else. Like she's like basically having to to troubleshoot it on the fly. And that's why she's still really useful is that, you know, she has this critical role in, in expanding the, the algorithm that's allowing it to to function and and integrating new languages. I like the idea of like Vulcans are, stingy with tech but they could be like this ship can cause some real problems so we're going to give you our universal translator but only enterprise can use it for now or just something like that Mm -hmm. here we we patch the software move on with your plots 
Instead, they just have Hoshi being being an instigator on the bridge and getting Mayweather to embarrass himself so that they have something to do. So I like it. The tour is ongoing. They're in the the they're in sick bay, but more importantly, they're in engineering where Tucker is giving like the kind of tour he would give the sixth graders only for one of the pilgrims to be like, listen, you hayseed, we're all space people. <laughs> we know how warp drives work. How the fuck do you think we got out here? <laughs> we learned about this in primary school, actually. Yeah, like maybe you should uh, maybe you should answer more complicated questions. I like Flock showing off sick bay and how good it would have been if you had been like, oh, oh, no, you are very sick. Actually, we're going to quarantine. Did you know you have a chest burster? Yes, you have COVID-2287. <laughs> I'm afraid that's a problem. Uh, that they uh, All of the tours are interrupted by a plasma storm, which very nearly destroys the ship, but doesn't because one of the pilgrims, who definitely looks like Silic, looks like his actor, made an adjustment that we thought was nefarious, but turns out to save the ship. I liked it. Well, I didn't. It was a bit of a trope break, right? Like usually in these circumstances, when the nefarious bad guy fiddles with something on the ship, something bad happens. And what you would expect is, you know, the heroic crew steps in to try and prevent the sabotage from destroying the ship. Hooray. But now we have a problem right now. We're on the lookout. It's instead it's stranded. And now who did it? And blah, blah, blah. So that was a really good fake out there. And, the fake out they don't lean into in this episode. Well, I'll get to that. But uh, yeah, we will also find out a very important piece of information here, which uh, in this warp five capable vessel, you know what they don't have hanging on the walls, Joe? What's that? Security cameras. Your brand new experimental prototype warp five engine that is like basically the enterprise is just a test bed for this. this not even a ring camera, like not even a ring camera. They do have locks, though. Did you see that they had unlocked the the mysterious? They have the 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 fucking king of locks. (laughs) Like they put a lock. So like that the that is like the lost tech. Speaking of forty k, right? Like it's like era tech. You know, it's from the the dark age of technology. Mm -hmm. Like the door lock. That lock to unlock it, you have to sacrifice an animal and pour the blood in. Uh, the the nefarious sabotage actually saves the ship from damage, and Tucker points this out to the captain to be like, "Uh, listen, no one in my staff is claiming to be the hero that did this, so this is weird." And this, this isn't is- just save the engine. Like, had the lightning hit the hull where it did, and the electricity gone through the wall, like it's you know looking for Worf to pick another fight and shock him. And that cable been plugged in, the engine would have blown up and everybody would be dead right now. Archer's contemplating this mystery of like, who did this? Why is this happening? Uh, When the captain of the other ship being like, it's none of my people, but let's just say hypothetically I did it. Would there be like a reward? (laughs) And he's, you know, Archer after that, Archer's walking the halls thinking about this issue. And that's when Daniels approaches and says, hey, I I need to talk to you. And he's like a crewman, right? Like he's the lowest of the low. He's He's a a waiter. Yeah, he's got a private thing on his like his uniform, right? He's a he's a grunt. And the captain's like, you need to talk to like one of my bridge officers. If you got a problem, I don't have time for you. 
and he insists and he's like, no, seriously, I am the literal captain of this vessel. I don't have time for you. And then he goes, all right, well, I'm just going to start talking about shit I shouldn't know about and capture your attention in the middle of a hallway talking very loud. Hey, uh, you know, do you remember Silic from that fight on the whatever that goofy helix? helix? Well, how do you know about that? Well, I know about all sorts of stuff. Hey, did he mention temporal cold war? And then Archer's like, what the fuck? Let's go. uh, Oh, we shouldn't. Now, all of a sudden, I care about talking in private. Well, let's go to my red room. Actually, Captain, let's discuss this back in my quarters. (laughs) They... I do like that his quarters is a shared bunk that's like the size of a, a dorm room, you know, like yeah. that makes a lot of sense for the ship. And he comes in and is like, yeah, sorry, the guy I'm with here is a mess. Let me move this around. Move his books around. He's got a fucking pee. Happy I pizza. want this guy to rename unnamed. And I want him just to be a burden on this fucking ship, because by the end, uh, Archer goes reassign that roommate somewhere else. And I want this room locked off because it's basically a crime scene. Now I wish it was just an ongoing joke that like people get saddled with this dude and he just fucking trashes every room he's in and everybody on the ship hates this fucking guy. Just as this unseen unnamed pig pen. Yes. I like it. Yes. But the, he comes in and he's like, all right, let me push the half eaten pizza aside. Let me get out this silver case. And uh, here's my super duper future tech. <laughs> I just had it in my closet. So he just he he starts by explaining, like, this is who I am. Like, he just is like, I, uh, I am an agent in this temporal Cold War. What's that? Let me explain. There are people who have time travel technology. They are fucking around and finding out. They're trying to affect time, and I am part of an organization that is attempting to stop those things from happening. And, like, here is is my future tech, and now we're in this cool, like, 3D VR. Cool for 2001. Yeah, cool for 2001 uh, space-time observatory. And he's trying to explain all these concepts of how time travel is used. So the rules of the game here are that... Uh, two factions are currently at work here on Enterprise. Um, one is uh, our friend Zordon, who is earlier in the timeline than what Daniel says he is from. And in Daniel's time, they're able to actually fully come back and take physical action. But Zordon can only manifest um, to the Power Rangers as a hologram and must take actions in that world through third-party agents, which are, in this case, the Suleban mercenaries. So Daniel says he's from essentially the 3100s. He doesn't say he's from future Starfleet. He says he's from future Earth, or he's human. He says he's human, more or less. Uh, That's the only identifying information I think he gives. He doesn't say he's from future Starfleet. Yeah, he's actually from Facebook, where they just... Yeah, no. yeah, he, he becomes immortal because he lo- uploaded himself to the cloud and he drops the bomb that, yeah, I know Silix here because he's the one that stopped the, the cascade from happening. And uh, that's that's not how that was supposed to go. And Archer's like, do you you mean we were all supposed to die? And, and, and Daniels says, that is not what I am saying. I am saying that he changed what was what actually happened. And that is a problem if he's changing things. And I need your help to find him and capture him. Because whatever he's doing, he's affecting the way things are supposed to happen. 
So the implication is, is that whatever was supposed to happen there was not going to actually destroy the ship for whatever reason, like the actual version of events wouldn't have destroyed the ship. But he doesn't say that. He implies it. Here's the miss for this episode. Is there is not enough doubt cast on Daniels because Daniels is wearing that Starfleet uniform. The show presents him as clearly the good guy. And there's a little bit of apprehension that Archer has in the beginning saying, you know, you want me to help you capture a guy who ultimately saved the life of everybody on my ship. I don't know how I feel about that. Not. I don't know if I can trust you. Also, uh, if Silic can shape change and all these other things you're talking about, like uh, and and he stopped the ship from blowing up. Maybe Silic is the good time cop. And you who've been impersonating one of my crew members are actually Silic trying to like there's that. I don't know. That never that never enters into the math at all for any of the characters, right? Like, and especially to Paul should be like, uh, maybe the first, I think time travels bullshit, but also maybe Daniels is the fucking bad guy. And maybe we shouldn't let him hotwire his fucking, um, future laptop. They go that far. Like they go as far as to cast doubt on Daniels, uh, particularly to Paul, Mm -hmm. but not to the extent of like, maybe he's this, this shape shifting bad guy. Doppelganger plots are exhausting, I think, uh, is the right way to put it. And there's only so many times you can get the audience to sit there and be like, well, they both look the same. Which one do I shoot? So maybe it was a good call by the writing staff not to even put that on the table. But it there was, seems already, like- an, there was already enough crap to juggle to put that in there. But I mean, it really it's such a foregone conclusion. Like, why? trust that this guy isn't the bad guy especially they, when they do a great job in the next scene of explaining why archer should never accept anything daniels has said which is kind of stunning of how good a case they present to the audience to say listen i was on the fucking ship with the, the plants and i thought i was on a boat right like aliens got technology that make you think you're in a place when you're still actually right where you were i was so, on a boat yeah. i got pregnant I was impregnated on a boat. You know, like what's more likely that he mastered time travel or he just has some tech we don't understand and is selling you a story for some reason, right? This scene where because Archer goes, hey, you know, you're asking a lot out of me and I can't do this alone. I got to bring my crew in. And Daniels is like, "Okay, well, the fewer, the better, which I'm just like, man, there's a lot of time rules getting broken here and Honestly, at this point, I still don't know, is Daniels actually a good guy or is Daniels a bad guy? I think if I will give the episode credit, they don't really ever firmly establish one or the other. So for all I know, maybe some of the stuff Silic says is true and Daniels is a little shifty fuck and he'll come back as a quasi villainous form. But while they're setting all of this up, you've got this this teeter-totter act and and Archer needs help. Um, so he decides to break the temporal directive, not that they ever say it, but you know, he goes and he brings in, like you said, Trip to Paul. And I think this scene is very uh, Janeway Chakotay Tuvok, right? Yeah, I would agree. And at this point, Tuvok and 
Chakotay aren't having sex yet, so you've got <laughs> both sides of the spectrum lobbying you. Uh, Effectively, but- too. Like, Trip is just as effective in pointing out how stupid all this stuff is as to Paul herself. Like, no, neither of them buy it. They present extremely good arguments, and then Archer's resolution is, fuck it, I'm going to believe he's a time traveler anyway. And with no real justification for doing so, aside from his gut. He doesn't even say, my gut, I feel this is right. He's just like, okay, these are all really good points, but, um, (laughs) nuh-uh. Yeah, like, the the thing Daniel says in, in the episode that, like, turns Archer to believe him is, essentially implies I could have killed you any time. I literally bring you food. If I had nefarious intent towards you, wouldn't I have displayed it at some point? Like, I bring you your eggs the way you want them. You know? Well, and gee, gosh, I'm just a stupid old hayseed from Indiana. I don't know any better. And by golly, as much as I can count on those sunny side eggs up to 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 make my day great, I'm going to trust you to not do whatever could possibly happen when we hook your futuristic speaking spell into my fucking ship. So uh, Archer gets uh, his dudes to open the keys to, uh, to give him the keys of the castle, get this thing hooked up. They're going to start scanning for Cillian life, Suliban life forms. Oh, meanwhile, Flocks actually went back with the pilgrims to the tour bus the night before and has returned and is like, I know everything about the religion now. It's great. I'm going to do their prayers and stuff. So they they finish off that plot line, basically, of him being very into the spiritual element of the pilgrims visiting the stellar nursery and observing the cool like you know plasma waves that come off things and that sort of thing interesting choice by archer not to involve flocks who is very perhaps the the authority on the ship for tracking these guys down i mean he's done the autopsy he knows the most about them but instead uh we get a very cloak and daggery clandestine archer who it was him honoring his word to Daniels to not inc- to include as few people as possible. I think that's how it was supposed to be. So uh, Daniels is in engineering with DePaul and and Trip and essentially like coyly answering their questions, but not really answering them about the future and showing off his cool tech, including a device that allows him to face through walls that he casually puts on and uses with no heed towards other people seeing it. Lots of time rules getting broken here. Yeah, the old incorporeal passage power glove. And wouldn't you know it, though, in Archer's quarters, little Porthos finally reveals his beagleness and starts barking, <laughs> barking at I, nothing. I, <laughs> that, dog I was, that dog was probably looking to do that all day. <laughs> I hated that dog in those few barks. I cannot stand the beagle bark. Uh, also, too, come on, Porthos, go bite this fucking guy. Uh, Archer goes in. I laughed when Archer seemed to get pissed with Porthos. And was like, I'm not giving you any more cheese. Yeah, I had to clean up your runny shits the other day. That's <laughs> below my dignity as a Starfleet captain. Uh, but that is when Silic makes his uh, decloaks from his Predator cloak. What a good C plot that could be is if Archer comes in and sees shit all over the floor and it's a real mess and like he's busy with other stuff and this like real quick like do I abuse my privilege as captain and get like Daniels or some other bus boy to come in here and clean it up or do I clean up my own mess and like 
this is a, a turning point in Federation history is his decision to like, you know, be good. Well, I, I, I like the idea that Daniels, instead of saying, I bring your eggs on each side up is like, I literally cleaned your dog's runny shits off of your floor. <laughs> like, and that would carry more weight with me. It would I'm like, man, is this here. guy I like fist fought and like tried to kill in the temporal chamber in front of Zordon. I mean, certainly not. I, he would have never cleaned up all that. That was everywhere. It was on the walls. <laughs> so, uh, so like rolls in. I do like the, the performance thing that they've, they've con- did with him before. And they continue to do here is that Silic refers to Archer by his first name. He's the only person on the show who really does calls him John. You know, and like says it a lot, gives him that sort of like weird, creepy intimacy. Like, hello, John, how are you? You know, like it works. I like Silic a lot. I like the guy playing Silic. I like the duplicitous nature of the conversations, him rubbing in this face like. I thought you would be nicer to me. I just saved the life of everybody on your ship. And there's nothing Archer can say to refute that it's been proven to him. I think that you need to know that this uh, other guy who's out here is a piece of shit. And they might have told you that they're cool, but they're just another interested party in fucking with the past. And whereas I'm doing things to help you guys, they are not. It was a very convincing argument made on Silic's end. And again, I mean, aside, aside from the fact that he literally fought Archer trying to kill him earlier, right? Like that is the part that just makes it kind of difficult to buy the concept that he's not the bad guy, right? Like Daniel showed up, but he was as far as Archer concerned upfront with everything, right? Like I am from the past. I am from the future. I am here to preserve the timeline. I need your help to do that. Here's what's going on. You know, like he's not duplicitous. Zordon ruins it because we see the time chamber because we see Zordon saying, Here's the agenda. This is kind of the stuff we're going to do. If Silic's involvement in the temporal Cold War is only revealed through his interactions with Starfleet officers, and he had played that, well, listen, I'm a mercenary, and sometimes the people I'm working for might want to fuck you guys up and me to steal from you, and sometimes uh, the highest bidder wants me to keep you guys from dying. Deal with it. But I'm telling you right now that today... Uh, I'm not the bad guy, and it's somebody that I think that would have been a really cool way to use him. And yeah, I mean, the the moment that was that that was thrown out the windows, and he pulls a gun on him. Like, okay, well, only the bad guy pulls a gun, right? Like, not true, because T'Pol pulled a gun on Trip and and well, shot, I mean, and shot him and did not kill him. This, unless you're under planet wide psychotropic drugs, I don't think you can pull that card. You're, you're having the conversation and then the communicator beeps and then suddenly the other guy pulls a gun on you. He's the bad guy. That's just that's a universal mm-hmm. sign for being the bad guy. I'm not saying he's I'm not saying he's the good guy, but I'm saying that that's he could have been the the neutral guy. And again, he does shoot Archer and he does not kill him, which sure. lends further creed. So I think there could have been a lot more mileage to casting a lot of shadow of doubt on uh on Mark Zuckerberg, a.k.a. Daniels here. But and also, I think Silic's more likable than fucking Daniels. Daniels a chode. 
Agreed. Daniel uh, is not a man with a ton of charisma. <laughs> um, he's got a it, bad haircut. He also doesn't have a ton of time left in this episode. So, <laughs> uh, unfortunately for Daniels, he is outed in front of Silic uh, by T'Pol calling Good up. Luck. Yeah, it was perfect. Of like Archer's trying to hide who it is, and then like T'Pol's like, "Hey, boss, Daniels is ready to do this weirdo time shit." <laughs> You know that time traveler, Daniels, who's looking for the Suliban guy? Silic was his name? Here he is. And then Archer's like, son of a bitch. All right, well, I'll be right there. Click. He's just like, all right, shoot me. You're like, <laughs> fuck it. I, I guess, right? We're here. And uh, there, there's a... Had Silic shot Archer and then shot the dog, Silic would for sure be a bad guy. Instead, I'm, I'm instead, Porthos comes over and finally is like, oh, master, is something wrong? Let me lick your what face. What if he would have shot Archer and then given Porthos a piece of cheese and left? Oh, double villain. Good, good guy. Oh, no. mm. double villain. Because no. he's like, he's like, here, Porthos, eat this. Take a greasy shit for him to wake up to. Uh, you're a good boy, Parthos, and I enjoy your company. I wish I would have known why you were barking so much before I would have given you this piece of cheese and also feel free to shit everywhere. Had he given okay. Porthos a piece of cheese after shooting hmm. Archer? This is the real he, question of the episode. He may have displaced Lon Suter as my favorite Star Trek character. <laughs> I, I Actually, Jesus, if he would given... Porthos a piece of cheese specifically so it would shit up Archer's thing. I would I would take the the plot villain extraordinaire crown off of Seska and giving it to Silla. Yeah, like just suddenly when he comes back to consciousness later on when they when they hit him with the hypo spray and he's like he wakes up and he just sees in the back corner the greasy shit that Porthos took from the cheese. No. Like, son of a bitch. Listen, I've That's had dogs. You don't need a, a hypo spray to wake up. You could be fucking stunned. You could have fallen down the stairs. You have passed out drunk, whatever. You're going to wake up to that <laughs> noise of a dog throwing up in the corner of your your bedroom all right I, I, as as a man with a dog yes that is correct that's yep. how he should have woken up from that phaser blast and then like, roll over <laughs> so like, like, like the, goat villain. the goat villain of star trek if he had made that move alas no dog is involved aside from licking archer's face silica goes to engineering daniels tells everyone to leave and then it is promptly murdered <laughs> Like, him telling everybody to get out too really seemed to me like, hey, everybody, hurry up and get out of here so I can lock the door. And guess what? I'm the bad guy all along. And now that I got my speaking spell hooked up to the warp drive, I'm going to do some something bad. But no, Silic pops out. They have a little back and forth. Did they tell you that the 22nd century would be your grave? He goes to shoot him. Unfortunately, he's all out of stun shots. Yeah, so uh, I guess the key thing is like apparently Trip observes this conversation, so they're like, "Oh, they are time travelers." Well, ain't that something, right? <laughs> like, all right, <laughs> let's uh, let's keep what that. Just, I have to keep that in mind. <laughs> what if they're just rich, full immersion larpers who took the yes. car? Absolutely. Like that would have been great if they were like hyper advanced species that were like play acting and using these stupid, you know, hairless apes as their 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 like set dressings un- in a dinner like NPCs for their dinner theater. Yeah. Very cute. I like it. But instead, uh, Daniels gets 
time murdered. He gets like time shattered by this gun. Yeah, he doesn't just fall over dead. He explodes, which seems to me like that's not a real person dying. And I'm guessing we're going to see this guy like projected back again. Uh, Silic then proceeds to try and escape with Daniel's super science gizmo. Yeah, he goes through the uh, time bomb glory hole part two. <laughs> and the the end of the episode is essentially Archer putting on the phase device so that he can follow after him and get into yet our yet another bad phaser fight. Followed by a bad fist fight. Yeah, such bad fight scenes in this show. Like, Berman era Trek has reached a new low with its kinetic activity in Enterprise. They're just all bad. We finished so strong in Voyager, too, especially, like, uh, the EMH going full T-1000 and, like, running up walls and judo kicking people. Like we started strong, too. I mean, that wrestler was in Broken Bow, like, fucking giving suplexes out. Like, it was great. Yeah. Like, Debo, was, Debo was putting it down, right? Like, it was great. The real low point of that was when Silic jumps like a frog on Archer with his legs. Like, I don't know. They get in a it's fight in some sort so, of futuristic broom closet. It's so awkward. And the only important things that happen is that exposure to vacuum costs Archer his phase device. They end up in the shuttle bay and Silic opens the bay doors up. There's no emergency. Again, you would think that the Enterprise was designed by like five-year-olds who just had no frame of reference for anything health and safety related. <laughs> like, maybe we should make it so that we could close this if we're exposed to it. No? Okay. Mm-mm. No, no. No, no safety. Like, other <laughs> humans in here are not opening, you know? You like, go fill up your fucking car at the gas station and there's a big red button that says push this if you got to turn off all the pumps. Not in the 22nd uh, century, man. Those fucking dock doors open up without even so much as a klaxon. Um, I was so excited to see those things open up. Like, again, Chekhov's guns. Like, you don't make dock doors that open downward unless you plan on some point someone getting sucked out of those bitches. So very happy to see that happen. Um, Archer hanging off the fucking railing and he's got his like, I don't know hand jiver trying to hold for dear life and it flies off into that vacuum of space which i'd be like listen guys we're gonna spend the next three weeks combing every yeah. fucking space find that fucking thing i get to walk through walls with that shit that is badass i did like that silix like his physiology allows him to like basically space jump to his ship waiting yeah. ship to escape that was neat um but yeah the actual fight was just awkward weird dog shit and then they're just terrible at it in the show i think if there was a cynical humor element to these shows and you see a lot of that in modern tv and i think if there was just a hint of it him giving the dog cheese to be a dick so it would shit on the floor some situation where when they're fighting in that broom closet the lights get knocked out and uh, Archer say something about like, oh, I guess you've got the advantage since you've got those special eyes. And then Silic being like, God damn it. I knew I'd need my super eyes or just. Yeah, something about that payoff from the teaser. 
some some kind of shitty irony that he recognizes and you like feel a little bit for this guy slaving away under uh zordon's iron rule uh that would have been fun but no he flies out he's got a ship waiting for him he gets in they zip off and the episode ends with you know all the pilgrims go back to their tour bus they leave branson and, you know, Archer's, you know, he had a pretty good first contact with those guys. He's got a little, like, gift that he got from them. And it's just this weird sort of, like, foreboding ending where, you know, they didn't really solve the problem. Their guy they had on the ship that was apparently connected, this is dead now. And uh, they just put a giant fuck-off lock on Daniel's quarters. And we're like, I don't, we don't know what the fuck is going on here. But apparently time travel's real and we're getting messed with and we got problems. Yeah, I mean, they don't maybe they'll they'll pick up on it uh, since it's like Voyager. We're getting continuity and things seem to matter. But like there needs to be a conversation now that, hey, our fucking ship is compromised. Who else is uh, part of this crew that might be some paid agent from the future to fuck with us or cause other problems? Why is our ship so important? What are we going to be getting into that? You know, these guys keep coming back here. There's a lot of deep questions, rich questions that, uh, at least at this stage, just simply aren't getting set on screen. But maybe that slow, like you said, foreboding zoom in on that big hunkin' door lock uh, says those things for them. I mean, they definitely are saying with that ending this is going to continue, right? Like unambiguous, like this is a BFD and it's not going well. So um, there's a lot of twists and turns less to come in this plot line, as you can expect for something that ends, ends up being a driver for the first three seasons of the show. Silic, Silic is, you know, going to come back. Daniels is going to come back and we're going to see here. Memory alpha says that this arc, the temporal cold war, this is, this is entry two of 13. I would say there's, yeah, there's 13 episodes that probably reference it directly. Specifically. Um, but more that are influenced by it beyond that. Well, we asked for continuity, right? Yes. Boy, howdy, are you going to fucking get it, son? You're going to get exactly what you asked for good and hard. Mm. And speaking of things that we will good be receiving oh. good and hard. <laughs> All right. We're going to be going into season one, episode 12, Silent Enemy. Hey, I know what these are. That's uh, the saucer supper. Uh, that's the saucer. And if uh, I'm correct, those are two big old fuck off phaser blasts. When Enterprise is attacked by an unidentified enemy ship, the crew must work frantically to get their new phaser cannons to operate. Meanwhile, the captain charges Hoshi with finding out Malcolm's favorite. F- the hell kind of a plot b plot oh my god we're in the middle of life and death space combat get the new guns to work or we're gonna die hey also find out what malcolm's favorite food is in time for a surprise birthday dinner it's a bit of a tonal shift (laughs) this is like uh what was the cheese episode where it's uh tuvok's running the fucking cadets through starfleet academy and meanwhile uh everybody is in threat of dying because neelix's cheese has poisoned the ship and it's like 800 degrees in every scene that is not dealing with starfleet academy voyager edition (sighs) i look forward to reviewing this with you sir as i do each week 
Thank you to all of our V'ger Please Faithful. Uh, as mentioned on our episode a couple of weeks ago, we have a Discord. Uh, happy to provide that link. I try to be judicious and not putting it places super public so I don't get spam. So hit me up on Facebook, email, or Twitter, all at V'gerPlease at gmail.com, V'gerPlease or at V'gerPlease, and I'll happily provide it and, and interact with us on any of our social media. Send us a mailbag question. There's also our Patreon at V'gerPlease if you feel like contributing to the show's expenses. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. If we stop playing Vampire Survivors, which we probably won't, so good luck. <laughs>